This morning, our, our scripture is going to be Matthew 23. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, um, uh, we have them on the back. Uh, we'd love to give that to you as our gift uh, today. Um, um, or if you have your, your app, you can turn to Matthew um, 23. It's, a, it's, an intense, it's an intense text uh, this morning. It's one that's, uh, even as I looked around for other pastors preaching on it, a lot of people when they preach in Matthew, they, they skip this one. Um, so I had no help, basically, um, in trying to figure this out, other than the great teaching team we have around us. Um, but let me pray, ask for God's help, and then we'll jump in uh, to Matthew 23. Let's pray. Uh, Father, the words that Jesus spoke, which we are about to, to listen to and unpack, they are, they are hard words. But we need them. And I especially need them. And so I pray that you would open our eyes to truly hear his words, that we would faithfully follow your son Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. Well, I grew up in going to church, and, and growing up going to church, uh, who, who the, the people were that were most dangerous to my faith were always made very clear to me. Um, it was people like Marilyn Manson, for those of you 90s, early 2000s child, uh, children. Uh, it was Nine Inch Nails, basically all secular music, that on, on several different occasions I was encouraged encouraged to light a fire and throw my music into it, um, that the wrong cultural influences, they were the most dangerous things to my faith. Bart Simpson was the most dangerous thing to my faith. The wrong movies were the most dangerous thing to my faith. And these warnings, they were all well-intentioned. And, and frankly, those of you who lived through the 90s and the early 2000s and listened to the music that was produced then, um, boy bands, anyone? Um, I was ready to light the fire, to throw those CDs in there, um, but... But however well-intentioned those warnings were, when Jesus spoke of who was most dangerous to your faith, it wasn't liberal or non-Christian or outside-the-faith cultural influences. That the people, the person, according to Jesus, that is most dangerous for you is me. Spiritual leaders. Spiritual influencers. Those who take up a pen and write a book, those who get on a conference platform and speak, those whose primary job is to preach the Bible and to teach it. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to read an ex extended section of scripture, all words from Jesus, words he spoke to, to people like you about people like me. And they were scathing words. And so if your only image of Jesus is one where his, his nails were manicured and his fur was heathered and he was uh, uh, cuddling with sheep, this is going to do away with that image. Jesus is angry and his words are sharp. But as you listen, I want to be clear about what Jesus' purpose is in these words. His anger is not directed towards you, it's directed towards me. That he wants to warn you about, about who it is that you're following, who the spiritual influences in your life are. And so he's speaking to you about people like me to warn you about the typical sins of spiritual malpractice. He's speaking to the Pharisees, about the Pharisees, those who taught the Bible, those who led worship, those who prayed the prayers, those who were considered the most uh, Christian or the most Jewish in their day. And Jesus' strongest anger and most direct warnings were about them. And so let us hear his words. It's Matthew 23, verses 1 through 39. Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their flactories wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. If you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold on the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind gods, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean out the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sins of your forefathers, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, How often have I longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wish I could say I have have no idea what he's talking about, but I've seen it. 
in the church, in our culture, um, in my own heart. And maybe you're here this morning, you've been disillusioned by religion because you've seen what Jesus is talking about here. Maybe you've been tempted to give up on Jesus because of things you've seen his church or spiritual leaders do. And if, if that's you, I would just encourage you to, to just hear Jesus' words. That don't, don't give up on him for something that he himself hates and condemns and never wanted to see happen. And so this morning, I, I want to pause. I, I have to pause and examine my own life in light of this text. Hear Jesus warning to me about the danger of the work that I'm engaged in. But we all must pa- pause and examine our lives. Who are, who are we following? Who are the spiritual influences in our lives? Because Jesus' point here, it's, it's not that, well, we don't follow anybody or that all you need is Jesus. His point is that who you follow is, is whom you will become like. You become who you follow. And so if we follow the right people, Jesus says, well, you're, in, you're on the path of life. But if you follow the wrong person, they will take you down with them. That's why when Jesus gets to the end, he, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? He, he broadens it out to the city. The Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, they are bringing down an entire city because of their failed leadership. We become who we follow. And so in this text, Jesus gives you lots of warnings about who not to follow. I'm going to summarize them down into five. There's like, there's like 11 I counted this week, but, but that, that would be a long sermon. So we're going to go to five, shorter. Um, not the norm, I'm not going to preach for like an hour and a half on this. That would be way too depressing. Um, but five warnings, um, and, then, and then about who not to follow, and then one promise about who to follow. So let's jump in. First, do not follow anyone who loves being seen. Before I went to seminary, I've, I've said this before, but I was a pastor at a church in Indiana. It was about 150 people. And for the most part, the people there liked me. Uh, they, they enjoyed my preaching. They complimented me more than they critiqued me. Um, and so it was generally a happy place to be. And, and when I left the church and went to seminary, I, I transitioned from being a pastor to being a barista at Starbucks um, alongside being a student is my primary work. And so uh, there was very different reactions um, between church and Starbucks. At Starbucks, most of the customers did not like me. Um, they were not interested in anything that I had to say and rarely complimented, but m- complimented me, but mostly were angry with me. Um, it was a startling transition as I, I was wrestling through that. Why, why do I hate this so much? Um, verses 5 to 7 really helped, helped explain why um, in, in chapter 23. Everything they, the spiritual leaders, do is done for men to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Now, no, one, no one's ever called me rabbi, seriously. Um, they have called me rabbi as a joke because of my beard from time to time. But, but I didn't have titles like that. And yet the reality was, as, as a pastor, I was being seen a lot. I was in front of, of people a lot, right? I was in this setting where I was talking and people were quietly listening uh, to me for a, a season or a period of time. But as a barista, I didn't see any of, of that. So Jesus, he knows what he's talking about here, that if a pastor in a small church in the middle of nowhere can begin to love to be seen and in front of others can fall prey to, about, to, fall prey to this, this isn't a, a sin only about big churches with, with pastors. It's, it's the work that's being a spiritual leader. It puts you in front of people. It puts you in a position of being seen. It could be easy to start to, to love being seen. And so Jesus, he critiques two practices that have become common in this day. The first is, is that the spiritual leaders, they had started to wear special clothing to mark themselves out as, as different. And maybe, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this word right, but, but flacteries, maybe you heard that, like, what in the world is that? What it was was this little leather case 
that they would put scriptures in and they would tie it to their clothing and it would hang from their, their clothing. But the Pharisees, they're like, well, we got, we're going to have the biggest cases. So they made big cases. So you knew that they had lots of scriptures in their cases. They had far more scriptures than you have in your cases. And that, that they'd walk around with this giant case hanging off of their arms. Sort of like if I was a pastor and I got a, a Bible like as big as my torso and I just carried it around all day. Like, I'm, I'm a pastor. This is my Bible. Right? That's sort of what they're doing. They're making it clear to everyone around them, I'm spiritual, I'm holy, more so than, than you. And the other thing was there, there was this obsession with titles that had begun to happen. And Jesus, he's using hyperbole here, so he's not saying literally, don't ever call anyone by any title ever. That's not what he's saying. But what had begun to happen was, was the title had led to almost an air of worship to rabbis, to teachers, to scribes. And so a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, you have... These, these expectations rabbis had for their students where if you were a student of a rabbi, you, you could not walk alongside your rabbi or in front of your rabbi. You had to walk behind him. And you could not speak to your rabbi unless your rabbi first spoke to you. And so that, that's what Jesus is saying. It's almost this, this level of, of worship or reverence. And Jesus is saying no. No. And so what, what's his point with all of this? Well, his point, it's in verses sort of 8, and t- eight through 10 where he says, you have one rabbi. You have one instructor. You have one teacher, the Christ. Right? In other words, there's Jesus and there's everyone else. That, that's how the church is, is to, to function. And so reflecting on this text, my, one of my, the prayers I have for us as a church is that, that we, would, we would not be a church that needs to be seen but longs for Jesus to be seen. That Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples who are soon going to become leaders of his church. And he's reminding them that their leadership is to do, is to do one thing. It's to point to Jesus. It's to point beyond themselves to the greatness of the Christ, the Messiah. And so how, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, Jesus, he, he tells us, right? He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, they'll be humbled. But whoever humbles themselves, they will be exalted. But Jesus is saying, if, if you want to point to me, get low. Get lower than those around you. The person worth following in your life is the person who does much of what they do in their life when no one's looking, when no one's listening, when they're in a position of servanthood. And if you want, if you want Jesus to be seen through your own leadership or life or quality, then it's, it's not what you're doing when other people are seeing you or looking at you. It's what happens behind the scenes. And as you think about your own spiritual following, who you're following, who you're listening to, follow people like that who don't need to be seen, who can be below and behind the scenes. So don't follow anyone who needs to be seen. Second, don't, don't follow anyone who makes themselves a barrier between, between you and God. I think the hardest verses in, these, these, in, this, in this scripture by Jesus are, are these. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. So what Jesus presents is the Pharisees as, as these people who have like walked straight up to the door, entering into the kingdom of God, but they don't go in. They stop at the door, they get out their Bible, they open it, and as people come in, they start teaching people the Bible, they're leading, and they're saying, hold on a, hold on a minute. You can't go in yet. You're not ready. You're not, you're not reading your Bible enough. You're not praying enough. Your life is too much a mess. Here's the immorality you're practicing. Once you get the things together that I see wrong with you, then you can go in. 
But you're, I was thinking about this. What does this look like? And, and listen, I, I had an example of this not, not too long ago that I was sitting across from someone who, who told me they had realized that, just realized they weren't a Christian. Which was, a, I mean, was, I was stunned at, at this because it, it feels like a weird thing not to know. And it feels a weird thing to be surprised by all, all of a sudden you realize you're not a, a Christian. And, and so I, I asked, well, what, what happened? <laughs> and his answer was that he, he wasn't reading his Bible enough. That there are times when he gets nothing out of reading it. That he was beginning to see he didn't have enough of a heart to share Jesus with others. And he was just struggling with the, the idea of hell or God's judgment. He just was wrestling with what that meant and what that looked like. And those were the three biggest, biggest things. And I heard him talk, I think. I began thinking, if that is a disqualifying, if those are three disqualifying things from Christianity, I think I'm disqualified. I mean, I love my Bible, but I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm charged with teaching it. But every time I open it, birds don't fly out singing the hallelujah chorus in three-part harmony. Okay, it's Sometimes it's hard to read. It's a drag to read. I don't get anything out of it. There are times when I wonder, should I have shared my faith with that person? Was I too quiet? Was I too... Passive. The, the, the doctrine of hell, judgment, is a hard one to teach and understand in, in our own cultural day. And so I told him, I'm like, listen, I think, I think everything you're des- describing is, is the struggle of, of trying to follow Jesus in this day. So I asked him, why, why did you make that conclusion you're not a, a Christian? And then he told me, because someone else made that conclusion for him. They heard him talk through his struggles, and they said, well, you're clearly not a Christian. You clearly don't believe. You're not, if you believed, you'd be doing all these things that I'm doing. They were standing between him and between God. No room for questions, no room for doubts, no room for mistakes. So may we not be a church that stands between people who are trying to get to Jesus. But remember, it's Jesus that is is seeking. Jesus seeks. The spiritual leaders who commit spiritual malpractice are are people who, who leave no room for questions. No room for disagreements, no room for doubts, that you have to attend probably their church or you're probably wrong or at least less than a Christian than they are. And so they act, they act like you can't access Jesus unless you're in lockstep with them. And if you in, reject some, some very intricate piece of theology that only a select few people know about, then you're not a full Christian. You're maybe not even a Christian. And so these spiritual leaders, what they want ultimately is conformity to their most important ideas rather than transformation into the likeness of Jesus. The reality is Jesus, he's just very different than this. And when Jesus offers an invitation to you to come and follow him, hear his words, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. These are foundational words to us as a church. They're so, they're so important to us, we put them on a pop-up sign out there. Like that's, that shows you importance when it gets to pop-up sign level. This is, you need to know this, okay? So Matthew 11, 28 through 30, here's, here's Jesus' invitation to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hope you heard similar language when Jesus was talking about the Pharisees in verse 3 when he said, they, the Pharisees, spiritual malpractitors, they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Do you see the difference between Jesus and and spiritual malpractitors, the Pharisees? Jesus is a seeking God who wants others to follow him, who wants to carry your burden with you, who says his yoke is easy, who says his burden is life. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees hated him so much. Jesus gave access to, to himself to people that they would never have given access to him. The Pharisees would never have let any, some of the people that got near to Jesus anywhere near him, some of the people that were Jesus' closest disciples couldn't have gotten anywhere near 
the disciples, because Jesus seeks them. He sought them. He went after them. He spoke to them. And ultimately, there's, there's two ways you can approach religion, and in particular, the Christian faith. You can approach as a Pharisee, where you stand between other people and God. You're assessing their worthiness. You're assessing how good you think they are, how well they're keeping their rules, if they pass your tests or not. And I think, listen, even if you don't explicitly do that, I think that's one of the reasons why to new people, churches are often very unfriendly places or very hard places to walk into. We're, we're sort of all walking around with the assumption that, that um, even if it's not explicit, that we don't need to go greet them, we don't need to go seek them out, we don't need to say, say hi, because they have to fit with us. They have to get in with us. They have to pass our test. They have to, to know our lingo or our language. And that is so distant than how Jesus approached his own ministry in life. That I w- don't approach the Christian faith as a Pharisee. Approach it as one with confidence that Jesus seeks every person. That need, they need help, like us. So help them carry their burdens. Don't weigh them down. Listen to their questions. Listen to their doubts. Jesus is seeking them. He desires them. He wants them. And our actions as Christians should reflect that. That don't expect all of their life and all of their theology and all of their practice to get cleaned up before they get into the kingdom. They have an eternity to get all that worked out with Jesus. That Jesus has not elected me or Hugh as his personal bouncers at the kingdom's door to assess who can get in and who can't. Don't follow people that make themselves a barrier to Jesus. And yet in everything I just said, I want to say there, there's, there's a warning. And those of you who are, are more theologically trained like, like I am, there's a question that, that's worth asking, which is what about truth? What about, doesn't theology matter? Doesn't life practice matter? It does. And that's where Jesus goes next. Um, that third, don't follow anyone who uses sincerity to obscure the truth. Look at me at uh, verse um, 23 and, and 24, what Jesus says. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What Jesus says here is the Pharisees, they're, they're tithing out of their spice rack. My guess is none of you have done that. My guess is, um, thankfully, none of you have dropped like 10, 10% of your cinnamon into our offering box. I thank you for that. Please don't do that. That's not the point. Um, but what Jesus is saying is, is your, your generosity towards the temple, towards God's people, is sincere. I mean, let's be honest. They are, they are probably more sincere in their generosity than the vast majority of Christians in our culture today. Um, and, and so, yeah, Jesus isn't saying don't do that or don't be sincere with your tithing. But what he's saying is, you, you are sincere with your tithing, but you've missed the point of the Bible. And so when he says um, the, the, the law, when he mentions the law, that, that's, that's a stand-in for all of the scriptures. He says you, you've gotten the details, all the, the little nitty-bitty rules, but the, the big story of scripture, justice and mercy and faithfulness, you've completely missed. You've completely, you, you don't even know how to read your Bible. You've missed the truth of the scriptures. And some commentators say that, that Jesus here, he's, he's given seven woes. This is the fourth one. It's the central ro- woe, um, which means this is, this is his biggest problem with them. Everything builds to this and everything descends from this. Jesus' central problem with the Pharisees is that they have sincerity on the outside, but they do not know the scriptures. They do not know the Bible. And so may, may we as a church not be a church that rests on sincerity. May our, passion be for, may our passion for sincerity be met with our passion for truth. 
That what Jesus is saying here is that who you follow, you should care both about are they sincere and is what they're saying actually true? Is it actually, is it actually connected to the scriptures? Right? This applies to every voice that gets up and starts talking about Jesus and the scriptures. And, and this applies especially to me. That I, I've preached long enough and gotten enough feedback um, on that this has been my primary vocational uh, uh, work for about six years of my life. So I've gotten enough feedback to know that one of the things people say about my preaching is, is you, you seem real, you seem sincere, you seem like you, really, you just share what's on your heart, really, that you're, you're sincere. Um, that's great, but it, that's not what matters most. What matters most is, is what I'm saying actually connected to this. Is it actually true? Or am I taking the Bible for my own ends? Am I, do I just have hobby horses I need to get across every week? Because that's what a lot of preaching, a lot of pastoring, a lot of spiritual leadership becomes. That what matters and what, is what I'm saying true. And so it's, it's one reason why as we prepare sermons as a church, we prepare with a teaching team of about 15 people. We don't want to just be sincere. We want to be true to the text of scriptures, to say what's actually in, in the Bible. And so as you, as, you, as you think through my own preaching, I hope you're not just saying he's sincere. He really means what he says. But also he, he's trying to say what's true about the scriptures. And I would say it doesn't just apply to me. It also applies to the many voices within um, um, Christianity today that have volume in our culture, whether it's through, through books, through conferences, or through podcasts. And what I've found is anytime I've raised questions about uh, the truth of, of people like that um, and, and what they're saying, um, the number one I res- response I almost always get is, is, but they're sincere. They see God, they pray, you know, they got up and they said, you know, God has told me this, I was praying about it, and, and he led me in this direction. It's like they're sincere, and that, that tends to be a reason to listen to others, that in our culture, often sincerity, the sincerity of the person um, can make the truth of what they say much less, less relevant. Which to me, it has two problems. First is that, that I don't know anyone with a large following that is not sincere. That if, if you're insincere, no one's going to listen to you, right? I mean, like if I was incredibly insincere, you'd all be gone, right? You would have gone somewhere else at, at this point. That insincerity, it's not a reason, it's a reason to write someone off, but sincerity is not enough of a reason to follow someone. To me, sincerity, it's like a basic human quality of a, like a two-year-old, right? Not of a spiritual leader. Sincerity is a blanket reality for most human beings, not a reason to listen to someone. And second, what Jesus is saying here is that what matters most is not sincerity. You can have sincerity. You can tie that to your spice rack. You can be incredibly generous, but miss the Bible, and you're leading people to hell. That's what Jesus is saying. And so sure, that the Pharisees were, were generous, but they, they didn't even understand the scriptures which they, they taught. Now, Malcolm Gladwell, he recently did a podcast where he talked about this phenomenon that occurred in the summer and fall of, of 2009, where hundreds of Toyota owners came forward with an alarming allegation that their cars uh, were suddenly and uncontrollably accelerating. And so Toyota was forced to recall 10 million vehicles, pay a fine of a billion dollars, and settle countless lawsuits. And so the consensus was there was something badly wrong with the most popular cars, except there wasn't. Study after study proves that when brakes are applied to a car going 60, 80 miles, uh, 60, 80, 100 miles an hour, the brakes always win. So if you, go, if you go out in your car, maybe don't do this in the parking lot, but you slam the gas and slam the brakes, the brakes win 100% of the time. The, the people who died in, in those cars who were uncontrollably accelerating thought they were hitting the brakes, but were actually flooring the gas. The most famous example is of an off-duty cop um, in Southern California who called the police on the highways. His car accelerated out of control and his family was killed. But the more he thought he was slamming on the brakes, he was actually slamming the gas the faster the car went. 
That they, they sincerely thought they were hitting the brake, but they weren't. They were hitting the gas right for the cliff, destroying them and everyone with them. And spiritual leaders can be like this. They, they sincerely think they're going in the right direction, but that, that's irrelevant. What's, what's relevant is, what are, are they pressing the gas for the brake? Are they driving towards a cliff or not? It's why Jesus, when he gets to the end of the section, he doesn't just lament these leaders. He laments an entire city because the city is going down with them. We become who we follow. So don't, don't, follow people, don't just follow people who are sincere. Follow people who, who speak the truth, who teach the scriptures. Now this, that's probably the toughest one in our culture to, to agree with, with Jesus. The next one, it's the easiest one probably. That, that don't follow anyone who gets rich off their spiritual position. Look where Jesus goes next in, in verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plates, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. One of the strongest critiques against uh, Christianity in our culture is that people can point to countless examples of Christian leaders who have gotten wealthy from their position. Now, I would say two things. Um, uh, one, if, if you're tempted to write off Christianity for, for this reason, just, just remember, Jesus agrees with you. This is not a, a reason to, to write him off. It's not fair to him to attribute something to him. He warned all of us about and said, watch out for people who would do this. Don't, don't reject him for this. He hates this as much as, as you do. But secondly, I, I would just say, pray, please pray, uh, pray for Christ community. Pray for me in this. This verse uh, keeps me up at night. Uh, I know how, how deep the roots of greed go in my own heart. I know, I, I look around in a culture that, that values greed and material possessions, and especially a culture that has monetized Jesus, made him profitable business, and I, I fear, I fear for my soul. And this, it goes deeper than money. I, I don't want to use Jesus to get things, to use my, my position to enhance my life. When my life is, is so constructed around serving him, I'm presented with so many opportunities, both some big, mostly, mostly small, to be, to be self-indulgent, to grab for myself. So would you, if you hear anything from this sermon, as I'm laying out all these warnings about spiritual leaders and how they can pr- commit spiritual malpractice, I'm not preaching this as a third person condemning others. I, I need your prayers. These are things Jesus is warning you about me for, and I need your prayers and your help. The fifth, the fifth final warning Jesus gives is, is do not follow anyone who lives for appearances. Verse 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. If you caught a glimpse of the Pharisees, their appearance, their appearance was incredible. Right? They had the, the giant scripture boxes hanging from their, their clothes. They, they would soul in their faces from fasting. They would bow their heads in, in prayer. But if, if you got closer, if you looked within, you, you'd, see, you'd see death. You'd smell rotting flesh. And this, this tendency to, to make sure you look good while what's inside is irrelevant, it's a, it's a tendency of all humans, but it's especially, I think, a tendency within our suburban culture. That we, we in our culture, I think, especially have this pressure to present ourselves as whitewashed, as, as happy, as having it together. Um, that, that if we're single, we have to present ourselves as content. We, we, we don't have to be married. We're, life is good. If we're married, we have to present our marriages as, as wonderful and perfect. Um, if, if our careers are, are, are going well or not going well, we have to present ourselves in a certain 
light, right? If we have kids, we have to make sure they're presented in a certain light. But so we can't let people in because if they got in, if they got close, they would see, they'd see death. They'd see rotting flesh. They'd see bones. So we whitewash our tombs. And, and let me just, in our culture, pastors have been some of the chief sinners at this. We've led worship services that have assumed ease and happiness is the central Christian experience where well, the worship experience is just some big, happy, joyful explosion of, of giddy emotions. And that was what church in many places has become. And maybe the chief sin among pastors has been that we don't let people in to see us. We, we shut it out. And we don't let people see what's near to us. We live for appearances and don't let anyone get close. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we would not be a church that lives for appearances, but that we would be people who, that the more people see of our lives, the more beauty they would witness. That the first glimpse they would get would be the worst. But the closer they get in, the more beauty they see. And so how does that happen? What, how do we become people like that? Well, let's go back to where we started. Jesus is warning you about who you follow. You become like who you follow. So if you follow people who live for appearances, you'll become the same. And so you, we need to follow someone who the closer we get to them, the more beauty we see, the more, the more life there is. It's not a tomb. Inside is, is life and glory and grace. So maybe, maybe this morning you're, you're tempted to look at Jesus as scary. I mean, he gets, he gets angry. I mean, first you need to remember he's speaking first to me before he's speaking to you. Or, or maybe you're, you've been tempted to, to write, write him off. Um, you know, Jesus is just like all these other spiritual malpractitors. But did you, did you hear how he finished this passage? In verse 37, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I mean, he, did, he finishes this incredible rebuke, and he, but he, he, he stops by saying, but I'm still willing for you to come. Despite all your greed and all your sin and all your... Your love for being seen, if you just came, you, all of your city would be saved. And so this morning, as we reflect on both, who individually do you follow? Who are you following? Who are the spiritual influences in your life? Um, and secondly, as a church, how are we doing at this? How, how, our pastoral staff, how are we doing at this? Um, two responses today that I think we're all called to. The first is to pray. Pray that your eyes would be open to, to who you're following, who the influences are. Pray for our church, please. I mean, the Pharisees are the people that always freak me out because they, they, they read their Bibles their most and they get right up next to Jesus and they miss, they miss all of it. And I don't want to be like that. So first, we need to pray. And second, run to Jesus. That if you are someone who's experienced spiritual malpractice, you've, you've run into these things that, that we've talked about. Um, I understand. <laughs> it's all over the place. And friends, if, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you fear you're a whitewashed tomb, that, that the appearances of everything you're presenting to others look good, but inside you know that it's, it's rotting away, it's death, there's no life there. We need to run to Jesus, because Jesus had none of the problems which he spoke about this morning. Jesus never cared about being seen. Right? He gave up his reputation. He spent time with people that everyone else looked down because he was seeking out every last human being. Jesus, he'll never stand between you and God, preventing your access to him until you get your act together, until you're reading your Bible well enough, until you're sharing your faith well enough, until you're living well enough. No, he tore down the barrier between you and between God, giving his life for you so that you could know you'll always have access to God through him. The door is always open when you come through Jesus. That's why he died for you. 
But Jesus never used sincerity to obscure the truth. He always told the truth, even when it cost his own life. And he was always sincere. He never said anything he didn't mean. And Jesus, he never used his position, his wealth, his influence for self-indulgence or for greed. He gave up his wealth. He gave up the riches of heaven to come and find you and to find me. And Jesus did not live for appearances. In fact, the closer you get to him, the more you see of him, the more beauty, the more glory, the more grace there is. There are not dead bones in his tomb. That's why even though he was crucified, even though there was literally a tomb with dead bones of Jesus's, they could not hold him. There was too much life. There was too much glory. There was too much beauty there. He rose from the dead three days later. And so his tomb is empty today. We become like who we follow. And so may we follow Jesus together and become like him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to follow the right people? Would you forgive us and me for the times we have wanted to be seen? Would you forgive us and me the temptation to create new rules people have to follow in order to know you? For standing is a barrier between you and the way you seek all people. Forgive us and me for being drawn in with sincerity and forgetting the truth of your scriptures. Protect me, O Lord, in us from spiritual leadership that is driven by greed and self-indulgence. And may we not live for appearances, O Lord, but let you renew us from the inside. O God, we look to the one who, who didn't struggle with any of that. We look to Jesus. We want to follow him and we pray for his help. Amen.